Hey Sam, how's it going? It's good to see you. It's good to see you too. How have you been? I've been good. It's been uh, it's been a pretty pretty good but pretty busy last couple weeks. One thing that's been a highlight, my dad has been emailing me a lot recently. About what? He has a new cat. He has a cat named Annabelle and a new kitten named Benchley. And he uh, sends- Are they both new? Annabelle is new from the last couple weeks. So two two new cats. He's like he's a very sweet, very gentle man living in a ghost town in Texas. He's recently like divorced in the last year, and I think it's cat time. It's cat time, man. And so he'll send me these videos. He he put up a plastic cling on the windows so that the birds on the outside can't see in. It's like one way cling, and just drives the cats crazy. So I just get my emails are inundated like every couple of days, like three or four videos of him, like no commentary. Just a video in my inbox that I can't stream in my computer. I have to download it and like see what the new video is. But he's also newly thinking of running for mayor of his ghost town. Is I think just for a project. Yeah, it's like there are some people who live there. It's just the population has declined from its previous height in the 19 teens to now being very, very few, like just a couple hundred people. And I think he just wants to do it to be able to come up with campaign posters. Like it's something that he's, he's the kind of person who'll do something because it's funny, but then also actually do it. So I think that he is getting ready to prepare a campaign, but he's had ideas like this before. Like he was gonna invent a fishing cannon so that we could go fishing easier out on the coast and- A fishing cannon? Yeah, totally. Like a pneumatic can. We go surf fishing every summer. Okay. We're like, go to the Gulf and like walk out into the ocean up to your armpits and cast out and catch fish and fight the waves and it's really fun. It's not the image of surf fishing I have. No, I had people like on, on the surfboard with a fishing pole. <laughs> that would be pretty exciting because you can get some big stuff. Um, <laughs> but he's getting older and really just when he goes to the beach to fish, he just wants to sit and have a shiner. So he, the idea was to have to build a pneumatic cannon where you can put the lure in and launch it out into the ocean so that you can just sit under the tent on the beach, which is pretty great. He got like, he built a couple of prototypes, but they were all, like he welded them and they were all way too heavy to go on his trailer. <laughs> so, he's a man of many ideas, but I'm doing everything I can to encourage this Bayer idea. I think it would just be wonderful. <laughs> so you'd be, you'd be like minor royalty. Oh my gosh, I would love it. I would go down and visit all the time. <laughs> That's amazing. So what about you? Have you been? I've been I've been good. Yeah. Uh, nothing much to report. The, nothing new in the yeah, last little bit. Work and life going along at the... Uh, pace of one day a day yeah um, yeah i know how that goes that's you know i'm, I'm good i'm 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 happy good I'm, life's good good so on the program today yeah we have rj casey mm-hmm. who we've both known for at least i've known him for a number of years yeah i um i met him a couple of years ago it was my very first time at tcaf and he was tabling with yeti press which is his imprint two tables down from me and we were both from chicago and i didn't know him and so we we're like, oh, Chicago buddies. And we spent the weekend together. It was really nice. And I've been, yeah, a fan of his line of work since then. Yeah. And he's a great guy. Yeah. So he, he has a, a blog that you turned me on to recently um, called I Like That. Yeah. It's it's I Like That, but the Tumblr is artist slash of slash the slash week dot Tumblr. So I'll, I'll, we'll link it 
we'll link it up for you okay. so that you don't have to like also maybe slash maybe it's the wrong one but uh but yeah so R- some ampersands yeah <laughs> yeah so rj he's the founder of yeti press he's he's published one of your a collection of mm-hmm. little of, short of, of dumb gags i did yeah, yeah. so great um and he currently he moved to seattle about a year ago and um works at fantagraphics now and he used to be an elementary school teacher and what i was really excited to talk to him about is uh, for the last six months or so, yeah, he started this this Tumblr of personal essay art criticism things. It's very, it's super approachable. I, I really like his writing style. Beautifully written. Really beautifully written and such an interestingly diverse set of kind of art that he's investigating and talking about. And I really, I really appreciated the project for what it is, you know, like trying to learn how to think more critically and rigorously and to write more clearly about what what he likes, what his aesthetic preferences are. And I think that's something that I think about a lot too and try to refine and try to hone. So I was, so we're talking to him today kind of about that project and about what he's gotten out of, gotten out of the project and what he hopes to learn and gain from writing about it and kind of, we all And the the value of criticism, not criticism exactly, but the value of of seeing things with a a positive critical eye and and why the things that we love impact us and how they steer our, our ships. Yeah, it was a it was a total joy to talk to him. So should with, we get to it? Yeah, let's dive on in. I spent a lot a lot of time in stores looking at different deodorants and trying some out. It's been my whole life. How do you try out deodorants in the store? Are you just like don't mind No, I don't me, try just... them out in the store, but I try like I haven't tried this brand or this type and I bring them home and see if it works. Right now I'm trying a ball, a roller ball, and before that it was the spray on. This is a constant struggle. <laughs> I go with like really waxy organic stuff that doesn't really no, work. No, that doesn't work. But, but but I always feel like it's, you know, if someone's like, you don't smell good, I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm, that's not true. I'm wearing an antiperspirant. I tried that. I tried that hippie crystal shit once yeah. when I was in college. It's like salt. It's basically just a crystal of salt. Did nothing. It was nonsense. Like I'm a... Like I, it, when it gets hot, I sweat a lot. Like I have healthy sweat glands, and like it did nothing. It's like it felt like I was a witch doing like create things with burning sage <laughs> and like putting a crystal in my nooks and crannies. I was like, no, this isn't doing anyone any good. <laughs> I try to get like the heavy duty stuff, like the stop sweating for seventy two hours, and it works pretty well. But then I'm like, oh, I'm probably gonna die from this. I hope. I mean, I sure hope not, RJ. You're a gym. <laughs> I'll be I'll be dry. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta well, die from something. Yeah. Like, don't be so picky about it, really. Are you wearing a Batman shirt, by the way? Uh, nope. Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> when you only basically, see the top, it basically, kind of basically the same. <laughs> so so RJ, like, tell us a little bit, kind of as to get us rolling in. Like, tell us about the tell us about the blog. Tell us about the writing project you've been doing. Okay. Um, I was interning at Fanagraphics at the time, and I work right across from an editor named Christy Valenti. Mm-hmm. And she's been great at like, when I first started there, I go, and I love this artist, this book's so good. And she'd be like, why? Why, why do you think that? And for a long time, I was like, oh, I, I don't know. I don't, uh-huh. I've never even thought about that before. I just know what I like and know what I don't like, but I yeah. haven't gotten into it at all. So in January 1st, I decided, like, I, w- I need to get better at this for myself and for my writing. So I started the I Like That blog, which I wanted to highlight one artist whose work I liked and write a short essay about them and kind of post 
kind of highlights of their work uh, Monday through Sunday of that week and then start a new artist the following Monday. And I've been doing that for 25 weeks now. Yeah, I've really I like I've really been enjoying seeing them as as you post them and it's really it's been pretty exciting for me to see like an impress like a huge diversity of kind of work that you draw on like week to week it's really it's really different. Like, did you have like in your back pocket like a bunch of people where you're like I really want to think about why I like this person or yeah, does probably it the first like 8 to 10 I was like I I know I like them and I want to figure out why and then I started going I have like 52 weeks. Like I got to start doing research. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to like libraries and bookstores and like took out all the art books. I'm like, what really hit me? And, I, and then I started doing like online research. And now I kind of have like a, a cache of a lot of different artists I know I can go to in the following weeks. Uh, so I'm trying to make it kind of diverse too. Were you aware of all the work before you? No, not at all. Maybe the first like 10 or 12, I was aware of the work. And then I started, I, right now I feel like I'm back in like junior high, high school listening to bands. Uh oh yeah like this band is blowing my mind and then you go in like and they're influenced by this band and this band and you kind of go on tangents with like trees of different artists and different styles and genres and mediums so i kind of feel like i'm right in the middle of that right now what impact have you noticed in your own like looking at the work that you're assessing for publishing through either yeti or work that you see coming through the fanographics office like what have you noticed any change in the way that you're looking at this the the your 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 day job work um, from looking at this other external stuff. Yeah, have you gotten better at talking to your cubicle neighbor? <laughs> I think I've gotten better at talking about it. I think I'm still better at writing and like having time to sit down and think rather than having discussions about it. But it's improved, I think. I don't know if it's if I've gotten better at three Yeti Press and Fanographics. I'm not sure. I'm not <laughs> I should think about that more or how it's affected the stuff that I edit or publish. Does it but Sorry do if I don't have a better answer for that one. No, that's a great answer. Do you feel like like as you're going through your daily life even is like you see something like a piece of public art or something and think about it maybe more rigorously? I'm constantly on the lookout now for artists that I'd like to explore or see like their body of work rather than one piece. Mm -hmm. So I've been going to a lot more museums, like small and even large museums around Seattle and Washington, just like looking for things that I might be uh, inspired to write about and, and spending more time looking at single pieces of work and thinking about what the artist was doing and why it touches me or affects me. Yeah, it's one thing that I really like about your about the writing that you do on your blog. It, it's something that feels very similar to, like we wrap up all of our episodes with cultural recommendations, which feels like a very similar project, right? It's, it's doing the work of standing behind something enough to defend it and recommend it to people, which can be a weirdly vulnerable thing. But I feel like I go through my week as like, oh, with this this is a pretty good podcast, but it might be too dumb. I don't know if I want to stand behind it and recommend it or or this song is something that moves me. And so I know I can tell a good story about it. And I know that this would be a good recommendation. Like what's interesting about recommendations is how personal they can be. Like, have you, could you talk about that? Like, cause you, you do touch on some personal stories in some of your cultural recommendations. Yeah, some of the essays I write are just like, look at these brush strokes. Like I knew exactly how this person completed this piece. And about 75% of them are like, this is why it's touching me. I uh, immediately thought of this time in my past 
far. Just last week, I wrote about Renee French, the the comic mm-hmm. artist, mm-hmm. and she's all her art's always made me feel really uncomfortable. And I've always been like, this is nice to look at, but like I feel like I have to look away sometimes. And yeah. I kind of went into that, and I went back and I did a, a study abroad program in college in Africa. Did on like went on safari every day for a month. Well, learned about biology. Yeah, I was really fortunate enough to do that. But there's a time when we rolled right up to a zebra being consumed by uh, vultures and the vultures were like inside the carcass and it was one of the craziest moments in my life because you're like I am nothing (laughs) yeah really the circle of life if I'm going to use that like cliche Um, but you just sat there and watched it and you smelled it and you felt the heaviness of it and everyone was affected in different ways I'm like, oh, I wanted to look away, but I couldn't, and I felt heavy. And that's, and I, I tied that with Renee French. <laughs> yeah, I, there's some some weeks where I t- I can immediately go to places from my past. I really love how your, your blog starts off every recommendation with a personal note that they they all they all are, are extremely personal to start, and then they become more universal as sort of like good storytelling is starts off incredibly personal, and the universal is revealed through this extremely personal lens. Do you think you're talking about art and most of the stuff we should mention on your blog is not comics work. There are, you've covered maybe four proper cartoonists and another handful of illustrators, but most people are doing various sorts of more fine art for better lack of a better term. That's, that's been somewhat intentional too. Do you think that like when you look at cartoonists, when you're looking at, you know, people who are submitting work that might be published by Yeti or Fanographics work, do you, think that you really need to understand a, a particular comic in the context of a person's body of work but when you're considering them for your imprint? I don't know. I like to see the bodies of work because I like to see where people start from and where they go from there. Luckily enough with Yeti Press, we I mean, everyone we've published, maybe with the exception of you, Sam, kind of like were at the beginning of their artistic careers. Right. So we got to get them when they were like fresh and a lot of them were right out of college and we've followed some of them through like a lot of professional work but yeah in in terms of context i like to see bodies of work and where people go and explore or see if there's certain themes or motifs that they stick to i think i mean i i I ask because i sometimes feel like comics are well it always helps to understand someone's body of work i i feel like they're so much more a popular medium in a way that like oftentimes they they are not designed to be read in you don't need to have a huge window into someone complete body of work to understand just that one story with you know obvious exceptions like the Hernandez brothers it's difficult to just read one love and rocket story and understand where where you are and that's interesting that you think that you understand the work better when you're when you see the whole the whole zebra as it were well yeah that's a good I think I I think I'm I'm with you RJ like I always like you can't know somebody's body of work like the first time you encounter somebody it's raw it's like a raw experience it's like you were talking about when you are going through museums or you're going through art books and something just like there's an impact there's a genuine emotional impact and but that always leads to such like a pleasure of treasure hunting you're like oh I found this person that I like now this opens up a whole world it always feels like such a joy when I find a new novelist or somebody whose book is like oh fuck this is right where my heart is right now and then oh my gosh they have like seven other books I know what I'm doing for my whole summer 
<laughs> and that's such a like there's something that's so personal about really articulating and really being able to articulate what you like and it feels like such a gift is a gift to yourself right it's like really being able to say like i love this thing and it means that you're better able to seek it out and seek out i think seek out other kinds of work that feed you and, and give things back to you have you noticed your do you feel like in this process you're you're discovering your aesthetic or your aesthetic is changing or are those maybe two of the same thing like what's happening as you've been diving into all this visual work i think when i first before i started i thought my aesthetic was concrete it was mm -hmm. like i knew exactly what i liked and i was comfortable and yeah. i want to make myself uncomfortable um i wanted to try out things or look at things or read things that i thought i might not like and either i was correct i, I didn't like them or yeah. <laughs> I was I was feeling weird about getting older and like listening to the same exact music or reading the same authors I was reading when I was a freshman in high school and that being the comfortable default. Uh, it was yeah. going to be the default. So you're a Vonnegut man. <laughs> Vonnegut man. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to push against that. I didn't want to be comfortable. And maybe that was just me like rebelling against getting older too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, that's one of the origins of, of the blog was trying to get outside my comfort zone and explain it. Well, when Marnie and I were talking before we all started talking as a group about why we wanted to have you on, um, one of the things we were talking about was artistic identity as like a, a when you're like, a teenager, you're constantly trying identities and taking them off, and you're you know you're going to be watching one one year you're watching kung fu films, the next year you've discovered Woody Allen, and then you're discovering you know Bergman or whatever, and 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 these you're very moldable at that point. And yeah, and, and your whole identity is kind of or so much of it as you're searching is based on these cultural things that you're grasping onto. I was hyper aware of that. I think in high school too, identity. I was I was the punk rock football player book nerd guy. So it was like bouncing <laughs> identities everywhere. One of those. <laughs> <laughs> what a cliche, RJ. <laughs> Well, but I think that one thing that's interesting about having those periods of really intense, discrete consumption of some cultural thing, like there was one summer that I was living in Arkansas with my dad and I like, I, it was so monofocused. Like I was, I ate so many oranges that summer. I was only eating oranges as much as I could. I only read Victor Hugo. I only watched the game show network and I only watched Peter Sellers movies. Like it was this very <laughs> strange middle school summer. That really explains a lot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> But almost every last one of those were abandoned after that summer of intense consumption. But now when I watch a Peter Sellers movie, I'm taken back to that time. And so there is also something about identifying really strongly and liking something that intensely that, you know, shapes not just who we are currently, but it, it gives you a hook in to thinking about who you were at the time and how you've grown as a person, right? I have a similar story about Western movies. Oh, late on me. Or for like, probably a year and a half or two years, all I watched were 60s, 70s Italian Western movies. And it was who I was. Like, yeah. <laughs> all I watched. And now if I occasionally watch them again, like I immediately go back to that summer. But I'm sitting here with like 60 DVDs of Western movies. I don't know. <laughs> You embrace them and you love them. No, there's a um, one of my favorite poets, and I'm going to butcher his name because he's Polish, but I think it's Czesław Milosz. He's a post-war Polish poet, and there's a, a form of Polish literature, of Polish memoir, that's like an abecedarium. It's an ABC book where for each letter of the alphabet or many, many versions of A or B or C, 
little short essays written of like the Alma River. I grew up next to Alma River. These are my memories of it. And this A letter candy is a candy that my mother made for me. And as you go through just the whole alphabet and everything you can think of, you know, you end up getting this sense of the person behind behind those letters. And a silhouette is formed of who that person is just through these. I mean, it's not just cultural stuff. It's also like locations and people. But I always think about that even at the end of these podcasts when we recommend things it's like oh b is for bjork like that's one of my that's one of the things that define the outline of of kind of who i am at least right now and and it also helps it be mutable right like it's it's not a firm boundary it's not a firm line of identity it's a very fuzzy line of identity right i was gonna ask do you think your silhouette or outline is constantly changing oh yeah totally yeah very it's a chimera it's always shifting around (laughs) I, i feel like if you're doing it I don't know. I don't want to say if you're doing it right, but if you're doing it right, like it's very easy to get stuck in ruts, a kind of cultural ruts or consumption, you know, things that you engage with. And that always feels like, at least for me, like I always feel so uncomfortable in those moments of where I'm like, oh man, I'm not watching anything new. I'm not reading anything new. It's like just the same old things. It sounds like that's where you were when you started the yeah, blog. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Has there been anything that you found that is now kind of creating one of those outlines for you? Like this artist I didn't know before and now it's like, holy fuck. I, I wasn't really well versed in either like fine art painting or really like installation or, or sculpture. Um, so that's interesting to find out what I like about those and what I don't like. There was a whole, I stumbled upon a blog today just about basketball art. Uh-huh. <laughs> feats of courts around the world and i was like i'm i'm constantly amazed by this stuff and i didn't know anything about photography and i've only written about one photographer and i'd like to write about more mm-hmm. um, but that's a medium i feel like i know the least amount about i mean you're a you're a writer you you write comics as well as publishing and stuff uh, do you do you feel like you take the same critical eye to just writer like writers of comics or, uh, as you're taking towards you know photography and all, all everything else that's on your your blog because you don't really touch on uh narratives at all in your it's all visual you mentioned that i've only written like three or four essays about like comic artists and it's mostly because of like the narrative base like i want to stick with the art and i'm not sure how to separate that with comics sometimes like a lot of comic artists do illustrations and you can talk about that but i haven't focused so much on the, the panels and the structures themselves just because i have a hard time separating those or dissecting what's storytelling and what's comic making and what's the art. Have you been writing at all? You know, you're incredibly incredibly busy out in Seattle working for Fanagraphics as their newest full-fledged member of the team. Have you been (laughs) writing work recently? Like, have you seen how this project has affected your writing? I've only written one small comic, which I hope to uh, collaborate with another Seattle artist. I've done a lot more, like, nonfiction writing than I've ever done before. What's that like for you? How do you feel about that? It's good. I, I don't know if I'm... I hope I'm getting better at it, but I started writing, you know, the blog we're talking about. I started doing some book reviews for this blog called Foxing. Oh, Foxing Quarterly. Yeah. Yeah, they're terrific. I've been on there twice now, and that's interesting. Um, I'm trying to get some sports stuff published, too, but mostly nonfiction. I don't know if it's just because I'm comics 24-7 now that it's not such like a refuge when I get home to write comics as it was when I I was teaching or had another full-time day job. What role do you think personal taste plays in like being a publisher? Like if, if you... Are there things that you see that you're like, I think this is this is good, but it's not my kind of good. Like I can't I can't throw my energies into this, not because it's not good work, but because it's not 
my work. Yeah, that's I've been fortunate enough to have Yeti Press for that. Uh, yeah. Where I only publish people whose work I enjoy and people I can stand behind 100%. And then I have like the day job at Fanographics where you know 90% of the stuff I love, but there's still books that don't really speak to me that I still have to work really hard on. Having Yeti Press is like my own personal, like I can kind of publish anyone that I like if they agree to be published by us, which allows me to kind of expand my aesthetic or expand the, the work that I like from people who are making good art. It's interesting. I, I had a little bit of a gatekeeper position for the two years that I was doing kind of art direction at a, at children's magazines. And um, I thought about that a lot while you were, while we were talking earlier about talking to the person next to you at Fanta and having to defend like well why do you like that like like bring it like lay it on me like talk to me about why you like this thing and thinking about so many times when like I'd have to you know go to bat for an artist or go to bat and like really argue with like tiers of bureaucracy above me with why why something should go through or why I mean for the beginning like why comics should be included like I had to defend the idea of comics to a 94 year old German lady um which was very difficult (laughs) uh but she was like the ultimate gatekeeper and I had this whole like series of presentations and 98% of the time my recommendations went through and then there are a couple of notable times where I wasn't able to get my argument through but being able to argue and being able to really articulate like especially professionally like professionally being able to say like these are the reasons why this is an important thing like these are the reasons why this person's work is a good fit or whatever you know whether that means personal preference or not what were you gonna say do you think that's important for like everyone especially now that like we're becoming so inundated with like social media where no one really has significant arguments or even arguments that are civil Um, yeah (laughs) Just to, I, like articulate why you like something, but also listen to the other side. I think it's important in like growing and getting older and maturing. Yeah, I definitely think so. I definitely feel like I've, I mean, I relish, I've learned to relish arguing. Like I think very, when I was a younger person, cripplingly shy, didn't like talking to anybody, took a long time to come out of my shell and putting it out there, like I like that is a really raw thing because what if someone disagrees with you and how do you respond to that and are you ready in the moment to have that like little bit of a spar now i love it now i was like you're wrong like i really love this thing <laughs> like and go to you know go to bat I, I think you're right like it is different being an adult and disagreeing on questions of aesthetic or personal professional preference even versus when we're teenagers and have very strong like spaghetti western ideals <laughs> My favorite things in the world are the ones that, like, I think it's the the teenager me and the adult me share the same thing, is that when we find a movie that nobody else likes in the world, or a book, or an album, like, it's such a great joy to be like, no, you don't understand. I'm the only one who likes this. <laughs> like, even the director has said, this isn't a good movie, but she's wrong. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, like, it's, that's, I find that's you're so happy yeah yeah like there's some like to deny yourself yeah there's something very like it's a joyful thing to like something like it only brings joy to your life if you like something and to really embrace it and not have an ironic distance or whatever like thursday night i went and saw bet midler in concert and it was fucking amazing and i had (laughs) such a good time and like i i had a little bit of worry that like this is going to totally ruin any street cred that I have for recommendations to the end, like, ah, oh, that, that lady liked Bette Midler. It's like, no, Bette Midler is amazing. She can belt it and she's 69, you know? <laughs> but it's because it's only enriches your life to really like something. And that's what I loved 
about your blog. It's like, it's called, I like that. Like that's such a like straightforward, earnest, just defending like, this is great. This is great stuff. Do you feel nervous if you ever take like too much ownership over other art or music or anything like that? Like that you're like Sammy mentioned, like, this is mine. Like you're, <laughs> you're taking too much pride in like owning something that you had no, no role in creating. I think over identifying with anything can be difficult. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I think that for me, the, the hardest thing is when someone's like, you know, with good reason is like, but that's terrible. You're like, oh, I can't believe you're an idiot. Like, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. I'll just, I'll just like write off perfectly amazing people uh, because they don't see the thing that I'm probably wrong about, yeah. you know? I think, I mean, it's, it. you didn't create it. It's not, like, it doesn't actually belong to you, but at the same time, like... Well, like, you don't want to get into fanish. Like, you don't want to be fanish. Like, being a fan is one thing, but getting fanish and, like, obsessive and exclusively identifying with, you know, with that kind of thing, that can get questionable. Right. Yeah. What about you? How would you answer that question? I was thinking there's one week where I wrote about a Chinese artist. I'm not sure how to say his name. It's like Sai Guajian. He does uh-huh. installations. And it was it was an installation where it was like a bunch of stuffed wolves that he created. Is, is it the, the, the Guggenheim, that one? The, the yeah. For the Guggenheim? Yeah. Put in the Guggenheim, he's putting in a lot of different museums, and it's all slightly different. But it's all the line of wolves running into the the big glass wall, and then like being on the ground for a while, then getting up and getting back in line. And that week, I was having like a hard time emotionally. <laughs> And I yeah. found that, and I'm like, that's my piece of art. Like I'm running into this wall until it cracks. Oh. But then I realized that's not really what he like. That's not the point of that piece of art. <laughs> like I projected my own feelings on what I thought I saw. So I don't know. I, that probably happens a lot in art. Yeah. But that's but that's the the beauty of like of a certain type of ownership, right? Like to walk away with a very personal feeling about it. And that's why sometimes when you're a teenager, you're usually consuming things that are made by people in their 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s. Who you know, if you're watching spaghetti westerns made in the 70s, are being made by 50 year old men who were born in like 1920 and have a completely different worldview and what they're and they're railing against a society that doesn't exist and you never experienced that society so whatever they were actually intending in those movies is dust gone and buried by the time you watch them in high school doesn't mean they don't have that that, that means it, it's a completely new resonance for you when you pick it up i mean same thing with victor hugo novels like mm-hmm. you're not living in france and you know whenever Victor Hugo wrote novels. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so much tuberculosis. Do you, do, you have, do you think you have to listen to the artist if they say, like, this is this is what I meant by that piece of art? If you do research on it and they say, like, this is what this means, but it totally hit you in a different way? Um, I, I just... <laughs> that's a good question. That's a really good question. I've been struggling with that a little bit. I, I just, uh, this last week, went and saw an artist talk by Edie Fake, who has a new line of drawings, and he... If you ever have the excuse to hear him talk about his work, it's it's brilliant. And I got so much, frankly, so much more out of hearing him talk about it than I would have been able to extrapolate from just the pairing of image and title. I, I think that if I'd meditated on it for a while, it, more of that that he was drawing upon might have impacted me, but hearing his thoughts really shaped my understanding of it. But I don't know if I also think that that's something that's really powerful about visual visual art is like it's the meaning is very mutable. I think respecting where an artist is coming from is absolutely important, but not to the point of dismissing the viewer's earnest reaction to it. 
what about you? I, I I feel conflicted because like with that piece of art, uh, with the wolves and the glass wall, like I wanted to make it kind of my own. Like that week, it was exactly how I was feeling. But I felt weird after doing research on it, and it wasn't what the artist was trying to get across. I took a this reminded me of a class I took in college, a poetry class where you would read your poem out loud, and the class would critique it, but the the professor made you sit silently while they critiqued oh. it. Like you couldn't back anything up. And that was very frustrating when like you were trying to get a point across and people were reading it a completely different way and you want to be like, no, this is why I said that line. But you know, they were arguing about something that you weren't trying to express. It's kind of it. And I've always thought about that. I think that's very interesting though to be put like isn't that basically what it's like now to put work out on the internet or to put work out in the world at all? Like it has this life of its own and you don't get to argue back against the people who are reading your book and completely misinterpreting it. It's frustrating when you're in the yes. room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. Like I would have such a hard time. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, imagine like, like if you look at like an African um, art wing of a museum, th- of course they'll have descriptions of what all the different pieces are and what culture they're from, what time period and who made them and what their use was. But most of those artifacts, if they're, you know, not modern African art, they're religious artifacts for religions that are almost certainly not something that you have engagement with. And like, even you can read a plaque and be like, oh, this is a fertility statue from such and such uh, country. But there's, you can't know what that meant for the person who carved it and the person who it was carved for certainly that was a very important you know interaction but i think you still can appreciate it in your own context like and it doesn't if you needed to understand the context for that art to be valid art then there would almost be no reason to have an african art wing that wasn't modern or any any, art wing i'd argue right yeah same you could look at the same thing of like a, a crucifixion painting from 300 years ago it's it it, you can't you could be moved by religious art without being religious Mm -hmm. right exactly but then again if a person's there saying the wolves are running into this glass thing because especially if you're talking about artists who are like you know if if an artist is from not that artist in particular but if an artist is from china and is trying to talk about a very specific thing that's happening in our world today it's probably best to understand what they're trying to get across yeah that's exactly what i was thinking about like there's a lot of literature that's very like um, I'm now forgetting. The Master and Margarita is a really terrific uh, surrealist novel uh, that's parody. It's political parody from early 20th century Russia. I'm now completely blanking on the name of the author. Mikhail Bulgakov? I don't know. It's just reading it as a text, as like the devil comes and throws this crazy ball and there's a cat like the people fly in the sky towards the moon and it's this beautiful crazy weird violent fun book and just reading it as that is like i got a lot out of that like i read it when i was in high school i thought it was terrific but i had no context for the various like each character was a parody or a setup or a satire of a contemporary political figure and I didn't have any of that context for understanding it. And learning about that later, I felt like I was missing out. But at the same time, like, there was a neat devil that threw a ball, and it was great. <laughs> Isn't that kind of like Wizard of Oz? Isn't Wizard of Oz like some sort of allegory for something? Like it's every for character the gold represents- standard. It's about the gold standard. <laughs> I've heard that, but that doesn't what? seem... I've always heard, I'm not sure if that's a dubious story. It's a story. criticism of... Of, of possibility of going yeah. up the gold standard. Uh, yeah. yeah. yeah monkeys and stuff. Yeah, and, and who doesn't love a flying monkey? Right. You can appreciate it on the level of the flying monkey and, you know, dress up as the Wicked Witch for Halloween and then later learn about the gold standard. 
And I think that that's, I mean, that's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with, I mean, there are people who like, so my first Sounds and Seas, which is the big, the big book I've been working on, like there are a lot of people who come up to me at conventions are like, oh, bunnies, I'm buying this because I love bunnies. And like, there are some <laughs> rabbits in a spread that I have open because people tend to stop when that spread is open. And I've noticed that pattern. And it's like, you know, if they like it because there are bunnies in it, like more power to them. I hope they also get something about a story <laughs> that I worked really hard to craft, but I'm not going to correct them in that moment. It'd be like, excuse me, sir. Like, if you take a moment and read it all the way through, there's actually a like a narrative that I crafted, you know, with a lot of care. Right. So what what do you think? How Do you see um, blog that you're working on, like, being an indefinite project? Or is it like, I'm working on this for a year? <laughs> what's your what's your plan with it? I'm doing it exactly the uh-huh. year. I think it will change the way I look at everything after that point. Mm-hmm. But I really don't want to write an essay on an artist every single yeah. week after 52 weeks is yeah. up. <laughs> maybe I'll write more about art in general, but... Uh, it's kind of like a year-long yeah, boot camp of thinking about art. Art and trying to get better at writing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Do you have any, like, you've talked about what you've gotten out of it so far. Is there anything you want to get out of the last six months of the project? I want to try to change the format maybe a little bit. Over the last few weeks, I've kind of gotten more into it, but for a few weeks before that, I was kind of bored with the style, just like writing one page or uh, three paragraphs on an artist. Mm-hmm. So I may change the format. I did a top 10 list once just for fun. Right. But yeah, maybe I'll tell like a, a short story or maybe I'll, I don't know. I want to play with it a little bit. I still have like half the year left. So yeah. I got to do something to keep me engaged. <laughs> I didn't realize that it was, when I asked that question, I didn't realize it was a discrete project and how kind of accidentally wonderful that we caught you at the halfway mark. so with that should we uh yeah yeah we don't want to we don't want to hold you here for too long is there anything about this this idea or this this project that we didn't hit on that you want to talk about no i hope people uh are enjoying it i get some feedback mostly from my aunt um, (laughs) she's a big mover and shaker let's not (laughs) well um yeah we definitely like i know that Sam and I can heartily recommend that everybody go yeah, and it's, it's a read your blog. project. I, I really, really loved it. And I, I learned, I don't know, I didn't know about 80% of the artists, honestly. So yeah, thank you for doing that work for us of finding it's all fantastic. these wonderful people. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for reading and checking it out. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, RJ. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. 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 Bye bye. All right, so Sam, before we go, do you have any recommendations for us? I do. I'm going to cheat and do two at once because they're I'm doing s- the same thing. sort of related. <laughs> um, the first one is, did you read that uh, piece called Off Diamond Head in uh, the, the June 1st New Yorker? It was a, a surfing... No, Tom's been stealing the New Yorker for the train in the morning. It's been a couple months since I've read them. He's a monster. I know. <laughs> um, so it was this piece that uh, was in the New Yorker recently, and it's, it's this... This memoir about uh, a 13-year-old who moves from California to Hawaii with his family and his introduction to the native surfing culture Mm. and meeting all these families and and also his troubles in school and like learning to adjust to being the minority and what that what his assumptions about race had always been and what his thoughts about community were but it's also you know the main thing is this really really specific beautiful writing about surfing and and you know how do you catch a wave how do you signal to another surfer that this wave's yours how do you how do you realize when 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 you've 
topped out in a wave and that hand it to someone else without hmm. getting hurt and, and how do you handle stress and you know it's a story it's a memoir in which nothing of particular incredible note happens no one dies no one drowns sure. there's no there's no transformation no one even loses their virginity it's <laughs> it's it's a a very a very simple story about being alive at a certain point of time mm. and that has been resonating in my head and sort of it's been tuned to the same frequency as um as the tv show louis which i've been catching up with i'm a few seasons behind and i've mm-hmm. been watching it recently while i've been drawing i'm in the third season now and i've you know i know everyone knows how good louis is and i'm i'm like the last person to get on the bandwagon but it's been incredible to watch that show and think about why in the third season he starts to strip away the jokes Mm -hmm. the humor falls away piece by piece until you just have a lot of these episodes that are about human kindness for each other or the way we can't be kind to each other and and just the human condition and it's he holds scenes far longer than there's any than any reasonable television you know maker would would make or filmmaker would make would, would hold a scene and and you get to see this you get to kind of find out that comedy you feel after an episode i feel like i've been laughing for half an hour but I maybe haven't even laughed once and it's like that's an incredible experience and I realized that it's just sort of it's a lot like this surfing story where you you feel like you've had this transformative experience of, it, of having a coming of age story where sure. there, there's amazing things happen but in actuality it's just someone stating that, that they are alive oh and uh, yeah, so Off Diamond Head, which is by William Finnegan, you should check it out. And you know, uh, don't spoil how the rest of Louis uh, goes. I'm I'm catching up. If you've watched <laughs> it yet, you should you should get on that. So do you have oh, anything? Thank for you. Us? Yeah. No, um. Yeah, I do. I um. Oh, I'm still thinking that's such a lovely recommendation. I'm still kind of like, no, oh, that's so nice. I definitely will look at that for that surfing that surfing memoir. So yeah, I've been drawing a lot more. I've had time to draw a lot more in the last couple of weeks, which has just been a relief, honestly. But that also means that time to listen to things is back in my life. And so I've been listening to new podcasts and I have two to recommend. So one is one that I've known about for a long time, Song Exploder, which is Amazing. so good. Formerly of the Maximum Fun Network, now on the same network as 99% Invisible, I think. Mm-hmm. And so the premise of it is the host interviews a songwriter, uh, somebody who composes a song, a piece of music, and breaks down piece by piece, not just the individual, the elements that have been mixed together to create the song, but also investigating and interviewing about the creative process behind it. So the one that hooked me into it and the one that I would recommend as a starting place is uh, the Long Winters episode where they talk about the song The Commander Thinks Aloud. I listened to it and cried and then I bought the song and listened to it for a long train ride and was on the edge of crying for the whole train ride. It's about the Columbia shuttle disaster and about the song is set in that moment between when it was too late to do anything but before the disaster happened. When the people, it's the songwriter creating an emotional space and imagining what must have been going through their mind. And it's so, I mean, it's very sad, but also so loving and hopeful for humanity. And so I I got so much out of listening to this podcast first and it elevated a song that I was passively familiar with to now being one of my favorite songs. And so, yeah, so good. Oh my gosh, Song Exploder. Definitely listen to Song Exploder. The other one could not be a more different, 
podcast. Worst idea of all time is two New Zealand. So good. It's so good. It's two New Zealand comedians who came up with the worst idea, which is every week for a whole year, they would watch the movie Grown Ups 2, which is an Adam Sandler vehicle, like horrible. Like it was the worst movie they could think of watch it every week and do a podcast kind of debriefing afterward. And the emotional, like listening to it is as much performance art as them doing it. It's like in the first one, they were full of despair. In the second one, they were kind of a little hopeful. It's like, oh, there were actually some jokes in it. And then in the third one, they're like, I think we might need to drink through this in order to get through a whole year. I don't know how we're going to do this. It's uh, really funny. They completed the whole year. I'm just catching up. I'm like seven weeks in. Recently, they started a new season. Do you know about this? No. Uh, now they're doing a whole year of Sex in the City too. Oh, that seems minorly more bearable. Uh, I've never seen it. I've never just, seen it, but I, I don't know if it actually is. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Have you ever watched a movie over and over and over again? Only, like, I wore out my Wayne's World tape when I was in high school and college because I loved that movie so much, but not, not, not really in the same kind of purposeful marathon way that they're doing. There's, it, in college, I had just a couple, a handful of VHS tapes, and for some reason, everywhere I went, was working where I could draw, there were VHS players and no DVD players, so I would I watch the same few movies over and over and over again, and they slowly devolve into like a Dada-esque... Like, Madness! You, 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 well, you realize that there's all this implied movement and stuff that isn't actually in the movie. Yeah. And, oh, they and come then, up with all these conspiracy theories and... Right, yeah, and then you start to story. see things in the background, <laughs> and you start to watch, and things just... And they get to the point, some some movies, especially if it's not a very good movie, it gets to a point where it's it seems like they're just speaking incomprehensible gibberish. Yeah. And not you can't you can't even follow the plot anymore. <laughs> um, which is kind of amazing. It transcendent. It's yeah. like it's like a form of meditation. Yeah. Oh, this is speaking of tra- like any time when you experience a piece of media in a way that it wasn't intended and it shifts. Like there's a a version of a Justin Bieber song that got slowed down 4,000%. Uh, Do you know this? Version, yeah. yeah, and it yeah. sounds like a chorus of goddamn angels. It's the it's most amazing. beautiful thing. Like, yeah. I sometimes draw listening to that. It's the same kind of thing of, like, in any other context, this wouldn't be interesting. But watching Grown Ups 2 52 times in a row, you get something out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so with... Uh, oh, yeah. So, uh, so Song Exploder... And the worst idea of all time. Two very different but very wonderful podcasts. Awesome. Great. So uh, before before we go, don't forget, please email us, imageplustext.gmail.com if you have any feedback, critique, thoughts, recommendations for guests or topics that you'd like to hear us talk about or to. And we're always happy to have a conversation on Twitter at imageplustext. See you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.